People are so easily distracted. So I'm the distractor with a little story. People can't get enough of them. Because, well, they connect the stories to themselves, I suppose. And we all love hearing about ourselves. So long as the people in the stories are us. But not us. This will tell the tale. Hey everyone, this is a bonus episode of the Slash Filmcast. We're recording this before Thanksgiving. You're probably listening to it afterwards. Hope you had a good holiday weekend. Spent some time with family or friends. Uh, we certainly did. I'm here with uh, Jeff Kanata. Jeff, how are hey, you Dave. doing today? I'm doing great, man. Uh, I'm. I can't wait to be post Thanksgiving. I, I love Thanksgiving. I yeah, love the Thanksgiving's feeling of, great. It's not like super yeah. commercial yet, you know. From my perspective, <laughs> uh, no. it hasn't sold out quite yet, you know. <laughs> So it's one of the good ones. Yeah, the day after, however, that's a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The day after, that's a little. Yeah, that's right. It's a little different. It's, um, okay, so we're here to talk about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is yeah. a an anthology of six short films that take place in 19th century post Civil War era during the settling of the Old West, uh, written and directed by the Coen Brothers, and this movie is out on Netflix right now. And uh, you saw it. I saw it. I thought we'd just have, record a little conversation where we talk about general thoughts and then dive yeah. into each one of these uh, one by one and talk about like each of the six stories. Um, I think this is going to make a kind of a lovely companion piece to our discussion about Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> yeah, which you can find on uh, DLC podcast at 5x5.tv slash DLC, right? That's right. Yeah, we uh, had Dave sw- swung by and we talked about that. And I feel like I don't know. I, I, that game coming out and this movie hitting Netflix all around the same time, it's an interesting juxtaposition for me. Overall thoughts on The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Jeff? I loved it. I loved it. I love it. Um, I am a huge Coen Brothers fan. That goes without saying. I think anybody who loves movies at least likes some of their movies. And I think I like more than most. I mean, I love Burn After Reading and a lot of movies that people don't care for so much. Uh, I just I, – their aesthetic is my aesthetic. It turns out oftentimes I love how they how they turn a phrase. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a language junkie and, and they seem to revel in the use of language. And and I describe this particular film as you know, if, if Black Mirror is uh, Twilight Zone but for future tech – near future tech this is the twilight zone for the west you know this is like what if they made a twilight zone series but it only took place in the in the wild west and i love that i mean i love that template of the twilight zone of of short films or you know um uh, tales from the crypt or something like that those those anthology tv series that often don't have you know, lighthearted endings or often, you know, drip with irony or the, the main characters get themselves into situations that of their own making that often have grim ends. Um, I, I, I taken with that template and, um, this does that. And I found out actually long after I watched the film that this was intended to be a TV series. Is that, isn't that right? Well, the Coen brothers have insisted that it was always meant to be a series of films uh, and that it was never meant to be one, a series. One but, film all smushed together, not not a TV series that had specific broken out episodes. Yeah, like it's been going around a lot. Like people – a lot of people have been saying like, oh, it was it was meant to be 
uh, a TV series. It was meant to be a TV series. I've seen that written a lot, but The Hollywood Reporter has this piece where they say, uh, Joel Cohen told a press conference at the New York Film Festival uh, that the idea that it was going to be a TV series, quote, that's an artifact of just what a strange animal it was. They didn't know. None of us really know what to call it or how to classify it. But aside from the confusion about classification, the actual what we were going to shoot, the length of each of the stories, all of which vary, there was never anything that we were considering doing any differently. Uh, there were never any more stories, and they were always intended to be seen as a group, end quote. So mm. it's uh, – I, I don't think – yeah, I don't think it's true. Basically, based on that statement, yeah. it sounds it's, it sounds like they, they um, my understanding of the the background of these stories is that they were written many, many years ago uh, as like a series of shorts where uh, they they put them in a, in a drawer because they're like, hey, we're never going to make this or, or we won't be able to make this for like 10 years, you know, because yeah. um, I mean, they're not commercial friendly you know they're not they're not right. uh, movies that you could get a uh big movie studio to finance for you necessarily certainly uh that would be a challenge under any circumstance but with the new streaming era that we're in uh anything's possible anything's possible it does it, feel like it would be an unwieldy theatrical experience can There's you imagine about like what, I, I can't imagine anyone showing up to this in a, in a movie theater you know <laughs> right yeah it does feel like something you watch at home and I don't. I wouldn't have minded them breaking them out, even the shorter ones and the longer ones. It, it I, being I, I, a I should, sort point, of, I should un- point out that it is, it is in movie theaters. Like it, I think in New York and LA, it is possible to see in a movie theater. So I don't mean like right. it's impossible to see in a movie theater. I can't imagine. But it's just like a major big budget release. I you know it's not it's no yeah. true grit. You know, put it that way. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I I think it would have been perfectly palatable as a thing broken up over multiple sittings. Uh, I think that would have been fine. And I, it almost feels like a lot to sit back to back, but man, I, I loved it. I, some, some of the stories I prefer over others, the the final story I think is a bit inscrutable to me. And I I can't wait till we discuss it in depth because I want to hear what you think about it. But, um, there's just so much wonderful stuff and and it's, it varies in tone so much. I just, I had a great time watching it. I watched it by the way, with my mom and my wife and my mom loved it. My mom was howling with laughter as we watched it. She thought it was the violence in particular. She thought was so funny, uh, which I thought was really cool. I haven't seen her react that way to, to that kind of thing before. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good if you're a Coen brothers fan, but if you're not, I mean, I think they, the, the quality of the shorts or not even the quality, but the kind of tone or the, the um, the way the shorts make you feel is vastly different from short to short. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, I found it to be very much in the Cohen's wheelhouse of uh, like what I would describe as one of the main strains in their work is existentialism, right? The idea that yeah. like, man is alone in a brutal, harsh, and unforgiving universe. Mm-hmm. And... I that's what I feel like you know runs through this and if you want a nice dose of that this will give you that that's not all they're capable of doing though you know they're they've made movies that are very funny and that are very uh, delightful and you know they, you didn't made, find like, these funny uh, some of them were funny yeah certainly certainly the first yeah. one was very funny but you know but like um, you know Oh Brother Where Art Thou is like a like a very enjoyable comedy and and so. Uh, this movie just put me in a very sad headspace. You know, like it it sure. made me feel sad about the world. And uh, if that's what you want, then I think you'll you'll really appreciate the film. But like, 
a lot of people might not want that. Like some people might see it as sad and 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 mean spirited as well, right? That it's very mm-hmm. cruel to a lot of its characters. And sure. uh, I, you know, I think just like um, Jeff, you and I have talked about this is a long running conversation on the podcast about like what is the media we want to consume during this time in our lives and. Yeah. Um, uh, do we want things that make us happy or sad? And is the sadness give us catharsis or does it not? And uh, this is just a uh, – these shorts are exceptionally well made. The the cinematography by Bruce Delbanel is exquisite. And it makes these vistas in the American West look so beautiful that you, you can't – like I don't even believe that it was like not CG enhanced in some way because it's so gorgeous and perfect. Oh, I think there's a lot of CG at work yeah, actually. Yeah, so but, um, yeah. you mean people don't fly up into the sky like angels? Um, so <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was really imp- – like th- there's a lot of details. The production design and production values are excellent. So it's not like and, and it, there's a lot to recommend it, but it just it just left me in a in a bad mood. You know, it it left me feeling bad about the world, and um, I don't know that that's necessarily that's what point. I wanted. Right? Sure. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. But I also I, I I think the comparison to Twilight Zone is apt in the sense that it is not just empty cruelty. It is not just empty nihilism. It is it is uh, but for one turn everything could have been fine, you know, but for one moment. And, and I think there is something to be taken away from the, the outcomes of each of the stories. There is even in the cruelest moments, there are these takeaways that don't feel like the, the, the filmmakers are just, uh, you know, masochistic to their, to their characters. They, it really feels like there's some lesson to be learned in, in the same way that, you know, it's cruel to have the man, who all he wants to do is read, uh, step on his glasses, you know, at yeah. the end of tw- that's cruel. Right. But there's some takeaway of that. There's some irony that resonates. And I think that, that these for me do as well. And, and, but and I, I, that's I take a great, your point. That's a, great, that's a great comparison, right? You know, that this the idea of a dude who always wanted to read and he has all the books and time in the world, but now his glasses are broken. You know, that feeling you have when you contemplate that situation time enough at last, that episode of the twilight zone, yeah. Uh, that's very much the feeling you get while you're watching this uh, this movie, right? Of yes. like this cruel ironies that befall these characters, and yeah, if that if that's the kind of thing you want to get into, I think this movie will serve that up to varying degrees of success. And why don't we talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Let's so let's let's dive into the spoilers for the Ballad of Buster Scruggs starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. I'm trying to see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret name. You want to be fooled. This movie is divided into six uh, little vignettes. Let's talk about them each one by one. By the way, like... uh, ostensibly, these are part of a storybook, which I, I did some googling, and apparently, there's no actual book. Right? It's not based on a real book. Um, but it's awesome that that conceit is so well uh, well illustrated. Like the 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 it's got that wax paper. Yeah, page no, it's perfect. It's, got the, it's perfect. And and the fact that when one of the stories completes and it cuts back to the last page of the story, reading 
what's written on the page actually gives you more information yes, about it what enhances, you just Yeah, it's did, so great. Did you um? Did you uh like read? Did you like freeze frame it and and read it? Like yeah, a couple of times. I, I, I paused actually. every single one of those and read and read it. Yeah, so, so cool. Um, okay, so the Ballad of Buster Scruggs is the first one, right? Yeah. Uh, you have. Uh, what's his name? The uh, Tim Blake Nelson as Buster Scruggs, singing yeah. his way through the Monument Valley, um, and uh, I'm I'm gonna like read a little bit from the Wikipedia entry here, but like he explains to the audience that he is known as an outlaw and misanthrope, although he actually harbors no dislike of his fellow man. Uh, we see him murder a bunch of dudes. We see him play a poker game and kill a dude that like threatens him. And then he Hilariously. has like all, all of them very funny right. kills. And he has a couple of like showdowns and like loses one. And so where I um, appreciated this is this idea that what what this short does for me is many depictions of cowboys are very positive and jovial, right? And it's like you know, like they they talk in an amiable fashion and they're friendly and like there's there's many depictions we've seen on like TV and in film and in cartoons and whatever where the cowboy is like very kind and so on. And what I like about this is like like outlaws are often seen to be like lovable characters. And what this short shows is actually like the brutality. It juxtaposes this kind of over the top friendliness of outlaws. Uh, with the brutality that they inflict on on other people, right? And um, and like drawing attention to the fact that hey, uh, <laughs> this guy may be friendly and talk really in a way that in a drawl and a and in a in a uh, syntax that you find charming, um, but he will shoot a dude in the head if it serves him well, you know. Mm, and yeah. uh, and I, I really enjoyed this. I thought this was one of the better ones. Uh, I it, loved it too. I, yeah. I his sort of starch white pristine unmust uh almost like hollywood-esque uh you know cowboy outfit is is so when he steps into the into what is sort of realistic uh you know uh, old west town with a bunch of realistic looking bad guys and he yeah. looks like he stepped right off of the silver screen of somebody that isn't actually a a cowboy at all and yet outperforms them and is superior to them in every respect and more brutal than they and more ruthless than they. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love, you know, this is another example of the Coen's just love of language. And I'm so intoxicated by that with their movies. I, I, th- their characters don't talk like anybody else's characters. And they also don't talk like any of the other characters from any of their other movies. You know, they find a way to give a vernacular and a cadence to their characters that is wholly unique and I find to be absolutely delightful. Indeed, indeed. Uh, okay, so the next one is called Near Algodonis, right? And it's about a young cowboy played by James Franco who uh, tries to rob a bank. And then uh, he is apprehended and... As he is about to be hung uh, and ambushing Comanche warriors, slaughter the lawmen, um, but 
then you know he gets absorbed by this other guy who happens to be rustling cattle, which is a thing that I learned about from Red Dead Redemption Two. That <laughs> rustling, rustling cattle is basically you're stealing the cattle, right? Right. And apparently it's punishable by hanging. Uh, <laughs> and uh, which I also learned from Red Dead Redemption Two. And so uh, as the cowboy stands upon the gallows with three other men waiting execution, he spots a beautiful young woman in the crowd and mutters, "There is a pretty girl." Before the hangman abruptly hoods him and pulls the lever to cheers and applause. Yeah, but her expression, as he says that to her, says everything to me. Tell tell uh, me what it says to you, Jeff. Uh, it says, it, you know, there's this moment where he believes he's making a connection with her, mm-hmm. and she finds him repulsive, mm-hmm. right? She finds him repugnant, and uh, she is not there with him in his final moment. You, it plays like scenes you've seen in film where. It was all worth it because this one moment of beauty at the end and he has this connection with this woman and there's some redemptive moment in his soul or some meaning that is gleaned from just the sparkle in a beautiful woman's eye. And this is her going, ew, (laughs) you know, it's so it's so great. I I just thought it it, kind of speaks to, you know, the toxic masculinity of the age that we're in, you know, that 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 topic, it seems to have it, it seems to be resonant in that moment. But there's so much more to this one that I love than that. Just that final moment. I just thought that final moment is uh, wonderfully ironic. Well, there's Stephen Root giving an amazing performance. In amazing. Like the three minutes of this episode that he's in. I do think that the depiction of Native Americans is pretty unfortunate in the entire series of films. Uh, it's pretty remarkable when a video game has a more well-rounded depiction of Native Americans than you know a Coen Brothers film, but that's what's happened with Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, all, all the Native Americans are basically faceless, nameless savages um, in the movie. And it, it's unfortunate just because like you know we, we've already seen that depiction many times and and uh it it perpetuates unfortunate stereotypes um in our society and uh that's a bummer but uh other than that i, I thought this was good for a couple of laughs but it didn't make nearly the, the impression on me as it did for you jeff um hmm. you didn't uh, find that last moment to be interesting yeah i didn't i didn't i don't know <laughs> I, I mean I, okay. I i appreciate it more hearing you talk about it but um, it wasn't particularly something that moved me when I first saw it. So I also thought the whole thing was worth it just for that moment where he's in the second hangman's noose and he turns to the guy who's crying and says, first, first time. time. Yeah, that was That's a, such a that was beautiful good. line. Yeah. Pretty good. Third episode, meal ticket. An aging impresario and his artist, a young man with no arms or legs named Harrison, travel from town to town in a wagon that converts into a small stage. Uh, where Harrison theatrically recites classics such as Shelley's poem Ozymandias, the biblical story of Cain and Abel, works by Shakespeare, and Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Uh, so, uh, this is the one that like bothered me the most, Jeff. Like this is this one was really upsetting, right? It's just it's just dour. Yeah, it's just uh, it's it's harsh. <laughs> yeah. So so there, there's a lot of great detail. I think we've had like multiple people tweet at us today about this one, right? Basically mm-hmm. asking us to talk about this story because there's, there's a few great things about this story. First of all, like the idea of this guy going around and reciting these things and you see the decline in the audience, right? Like you see yeah. like at first there's like dozens of people and then there's less, fewer and fewer people. And, you know, 
it, re- it reminds me of this thing. I probably have said this on the podcast, but like Stephen Tobolowsky and I have done a bunch of live shows, right? And he always had this saying, as long as there's more of them than there are of us, yeah. we're yeah. doing a show. Right, yeah. and so they always. Well, it's nice when there's two of you. Yeah. one man show. I've had <laughs> I've had that situation when you're in a you know thirty person Shakespeare play, and it's like, please let there be at least thirty. People in the <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, even even in this short, it got pretty close. It got pretty close, right? There was one yeah. that we had like they had three people, um, and then uh, so they <laughs> the impresario observe. So so there's a scene where they go to visit a uh, brothel. Uh, which is like really super painful to watch, and then, uh, and then he's like, you know, has this? Does this guy? Uh, has he ever been with a woman? He basically asks, and he says something like once, right, one time or something like that. And yeah. some people tweeted, like I think more than one person tweeted us asking the question, like, what, what do you make of that? What, what is your interpretation of that scene, Jeff? <laughs> uh... <laughs> I mean, I it, the whole thing is is very sad. I, I mean, we should I, I step back for a second and say I think this is the one that is the most exquisitely shot. I think it is stunningly shot. This one in particular, um, but yes, you don't ever hear the performer say anything in the in the in the entire short film other than his. Uh, memorized performance right. lines. Right. Uh, you literally never have him speak a, an original thought in the entire thing. Uh, and, it, but you, but volumes are spoken, I think with his expression, he is profoundly sad. And, um, that, that, that pathetic way that Liam Neeson walks over and like turns him around so he won't see, but obviously he's still there and he can hear it. And it's just, yeah. you, you, you get the impression. I mean, there is a lot of care, Unknown vessel, this is Wayland Utani Anchor Point Station. Please respond. Troop transport Sulaco, return. New? Kid bit me! Don't touch me! Oh, don't touch her! Bishop. Hicks. Weapons Division intends to develop the alien. Audible Studios present Alien 3 by William Gibson, starring Michael Bean and Lance Henriksen. Stay frosty. That is shown uh, from Liam Neeson in uh, taking, in feeding him. There's a scene where I believe what you're expecting, you're, you think you're seeing is, or what I thought I was seeing was him uh, urinating or defecating. Yeah, and, helping him urinate, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's a, a huge amount of care being taken, and you could assume that at one point Liam Neeson paid for him to have that experience himself. Um, you know, back maybe when they were doing much better and, and, uh, the, the situation was more lucrative on both sides. I mean, the, the title of that piece is meal ticket, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it really is as crassly, uh, transactional, contra- right? transactional. Yeah. As as that, well, and well, you get the you get the feeling that we're we're coming in on the waning days of this relationship. But at at a certain point, it probably was a pretty lucrative one and a pretty uh, beneficial one for both sides. Well, you know, it's interesting in the Wikipedia entry. It says here their financial situation is never desperate, as the impresario can afford to visit a prostitute 
and later draws from a large roll of dollar bills in his coat to buy a chicken of unusual talent in hopes of supplanting Harrison's performance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that's like canonical, what's in this Wikipedia entry, but I think it is, it is kind of interesting that it's not like they're desperate because he, ha- he does have this like huge stack of bills, right? Right. So, so that makes his actions at the end of the, the thing even more upsetting, right? <laughs> right. I mean, he's just he sees the writing on the wall, and and, and the, this particular uh, attraction is no different to him than the chicken, right? It's just the next thing that that he he puts up in front of the people. It's not the connection. What he's willing to do, it, it recontextualizes what he was willing to do throughout where it's like it's literally just taking care of a chicken for him yeah uh, and which is really sad it's what, profoundly sad what did you think of yeah did you have any like backstory that you created for these people like my, the backstory i wrote for them kind of kept changing throughout the course of the uh, through the you know the short film yeah but i mean like, you can't help but wonder how they came across one another and i think at the beginning you get the feeling you you feel like they're related in some way the ca- the care that he shows for right right for right he, he feel like oh you know the your brothers or somehow related uh and father and son perhaps and they you know and he this is how they've managed to make their way through this harsh <laughs> environment but by the end you realize no 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 this was a uh a relationship of convenience and it just became inconvenient for one of the parties at a certain point. Uh, so, I mean, it's, yeah, it's dark, but it's also beautiful. I found it to be really beautiful, uh, you know, beautifully shot, beautifully expressed his, his performances I found to be, uh, you know, kind of resonant as well. I mean, he, he does a bunch of sonnets and, um, he constantly does, you know, the Gettysburg address and, you kind of start – you hear them over and over and over again. You start going, is there some kind of through line with this – with what these pieces are – are how they selected these pieces? Yeah. I don't know. I, I you, didn't, you didn't care for it? I, I just thought it was so cruel, you know? Um, yeah, it is. That, that it, it, like there are so many other outcomes that, that the impresario could have arrived at. Like um, could have abandoned him in a place where, you know – um, oh yeah, could have abandoned him in a place where, like, he not necessarily could have been taken care of, but like had a chance to live, right? Right. Um, and just the way he tests out the the rock, the disposal method yeah. is so matter of fact, and yeah, uh, it's just there's no there's no emotion in it at all. No, right? it's not like yeah. it's he's not he doesn't seem anguished. He's just like yeah, right. that worked. Yeah, yeah it's like he was about yeah. There, it's like it just occurred to him. He they drive by that. Bridge. He's like, oh yeah, look at that. I can do that. Let's stop. <laughs> I, I mean, I think the the thing that I find the most compelling about this story is the idea that this like extremely well educated and like talented performer is replaced by a chicken pecking things. You know. Well, you get a sense that he has also been had, right? Like, there's nothing special about that chicken. Like he he's at least that's the impression that I got is that. The, the whatever trick that's causing the chicken to push the right number isn't because the chicken is smart or, or worth anything, right? It, any chicken will do, but this guy gets gets sold a bill of goods and sees the, this chicken and thinks it's like this magical smart chicken, you know? And you feel like he's going to set up shop at the next town and the chicken isn't going to do that because it's not about the chicken. It's about whatever, you know, rigged system was in place and he'll be sad that he – threw away his previous meal ticket. Yeah, I, I guess it wasn't 100% clear to me whether 
the rigged system was part of the chickens. Like he didn't just buy the chicken; he bought the whole setup. Did he not? Like that's that was my impression. I didn't. Get, I didn't get that impression because mm. he's in the same uh, the traveling same, like, wagon, right? Yeah. yeah, and he literally is going to throw the chicken on that same illuminated stage, and it's just he just thinks he's a smart chicken, and you know it's like there's no such thing, you know. <laughs> wow, so he's really screwed then. I, that was what I came. I mean, I think it's even more grim than than you give it credit for. I think <laughs> I think it's literally he literally throws away the the thing that has any value at all and is taken in by a charlatan in another town who's like, yeah, I'll sell you my chicken. He's $2,000. You know, it's like, yeah, Yeah. okay. Yeah, but I I think, you know, the idea of like uh, that the masses will demand uh, mindless entertainment over over high-minded entertainment, you know, like that's really ultimately what what it's, what the the quote-unquote moral of this one is about for me. For sure, Um, yeah. which Which is also as depressing as throwing a <laughs> limbless person off of a bridge <laughs> you know like yes. they're both yeah. pretty depressing thoughts um yeah the fourth short film all gold canyon a grizzled prospector arrives in a pristine mountain valley he begins digging soil samples and panning through them um and, and he arrives at possibly a major gold deposit which he calls mr pocket um so yeah what did you think of this one all gold canyon I, I like this one too. I mean, I loved. I loved most of this movie. I, actually, I, really, okay. I, I like this one because this is the only one with a happy ending, right? <laughs> well, it's it's yeah, it's brutal, and it's it's also. Uh, I mean, I guess it's a happy ending, but it's also desperate. And uh, I mean, what this guy go? He goes through hell. I mean, it's sort of like the beginning of. Um, um, there will be blood. Yeah, no, it very much reminds when he's in the hole and he's digging, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's like this singular man out in the middle of nowhere and the world doesn't care if he lives or dies and he's he's driven by this passion and working to the bone on on really what is just a massive gamble and then, you know, strikes it and – There's someone there to take it away from him. There's someone there to take it away from him. And the the fact that he is shot and bleeding and – remains motionless yeah this like sheer force of will to like just stay there motionless because he knows he's gonna have an opportunity to turn the table yeah it's uh <laughs> i thought that was rad it's am- yeah it's an amazing moment and, and and you like when he gets shot you are then that you are seeing the movie from the perspective of the other dude who shot yeah, him right right you're like and, oh and- he shot him, and you're sitting there, and he's smoking a little tobacco, and he's like oh yeah you're waiting it out to see if this guy's gonna move and if he doesn't, you know he's dead. And and yeah. so you are now in that guy's perspective. And then when the Tom Waits comes back to life, it, it shocks you as well, right? And I, I love how patient the filmmakers are. Like they sit in there. He sits there and he <laughs> waits. And you just have to sit there with him. And it's just like long time that yeah. they just sit there. Yeah. And he doesn't move a, an inch. And, that, you know, this guy's being smart. He's being smart. He's going to make sure that dude's dead. <laughs> And yep. then he's not. Yeah, it's so great. It's yeah, so great. I really liked it. And this is—I I thought this is the most beautiful episode of them all. Like, mm. um, it just that valley is so gorgeous. Um, yeah, it, it's like otherworldly. Like, yeah, and it does a lot of stuff where it just will sit on a deer and and show a trickling stream next to a meadow, and it, you know, it definitely revels in that. This one doesn't and, feel like it has as much of a moral to me. Like, I thought there was going to be this idea of. Uh, that this guy, th- th- this land is so beautiful, and this guy just comes in it and like f- fucks it all up with all yeah. these holes, 
And I thought it was going to be about how, oh, if you just weren't greedy, like if you just had enjoyed the land for what it was, you know, and you weren't greedy, everything would have been fine. But um, <laughs> but then the guy gets away with it and it's fine. So, yeah. So I, just, I did think I, I wasn't sure like what the point of this one was, you know, like what if he was trying to say anything, you know, other yeah, than I just agree. being like a really fun little uh, vignette of like what happens when this guy, when people are. Like, yeah, he goes through a lot and then comes out triumphant and, you know. Yeah, there's something about what he's willing to put himself through. Yeah. Uh, that, but, yes, it is uh, uncharacteristically uh, rewarding for him to actually have done all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about the the gal who got rattled about Alice Longbow, played by, my, I believe, Zoe Kazan, right? Yeah, this is my favorite one. It's This is, it, this is a really good one, you know? Yeah, uh, it's amazing. It's great, and it's you know they they fall in love. Uh, she falls in love with um, Billy, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Played by Bill Heck, who I think is a relatively newcomer to the scene. I, uh, I thought it, when he first wrote up, I'm like, is that Keanu Reeves? <laughs> kind of looks <laughs> like Keanu Reeves, but yeah, he's great. She's great. He's been in that, a, a bunch of TV stuff. Yeah, but he hasn't been in that many movies, and uh, yeah, I mean like. I, I mean, like, I, this is like this, 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 this movie had like eroded my desire to live by this point in time, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, these people are falling in love. Like, oh, Jeff, I'm feeling like happy feelings, uh, happy feelings of this couple, this unlikely couple falling in love, and like maybe everything's <laughs> gonna be okay. But like, don't be too happy, Dave, because something terrible is probably gonna happen. Because someone dies in every single one of these. Yeah. Some people think this this whole thing is about death, right? Like and I think I think ultimately of course the last one is very much about death, but um yeah, I mean you know <laughs> what a what a painful ending for this one, right? Where uh, it's it's like so great, it's like the though. mist all over again if you've seen that movie. Yeah, um, and, but you don't see it coming at all, right? I did not see that coming at all. Yeah. I mean, you knew something bad was going to happen. We definitely but, knew something bad was going to happen, but man, I the, like, the way it plays out is very unpredictable, right? Like, because uh, he, because you, you expect like Billy to go out and find her, right? Or right. some like you expect it to play out very differently. Yeah, uh, and and it's it's so wonderfully set up, like the the slow play of their courtship and awkward uh, conversations, and really making it about them when it also is is beautifully illustrating this relationship between the two uh what what would you call them um caravan wranglers i yeah. don't know the two the two cowboys uh, their relationship is beautifully illustrated and you clearly get a sense that the older guy is not approving of what's going on and yet he ultimately is willing to give his life to save her and and like he is rede- redeemed in a, in a certain way, and he is sh- his true colors are shown in a very, I think, heroic manner. It, he becomes like my favorite character in the whole thing of like just how ready to go he is about right. the whole thing. It's yeah. just so badass the way it all goes down. Her just sort of wandering off to get the dog, and then what that spirals into is is. I mean, I've often talked about how. I love movies like – this will be a strange reference for you. But I love movies like Judgment Night where uh-huh. it nice. starts out nice being – Nice deep cut, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, it starts <laughs> out being one movie and then like 
oh, we took the wrong exit off the freeway and it just becomes a completely different movie. And that's kind of how it, it feels in this movie where it's like, it, well, if, if it wasn't for this one moment, this would have been a completely different movie. But now here we are and we're in this and it's it's we're off the rails. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, that last she just didn't wait long enough. But she, you know, she took his advice. She, like, listened really strongly to what he said. And, of course, if you saw him go down like that, you'd be like, well, fuck it. It's <laughs> what he told me to do. <laughs> uh, it's so good, man. It's I, I just I loved it, this one. I just so knew much. that dog was going to get someone killed. Like just <laughs> yeah. right from the top. I just knew yeah. that dog was going to get someone killed. And there's like there's like. um sort of an air of of Game of Thrones, like the first the first book slash season of Game of Thrones when um uh when Daenerys is uh you know she's w- walking she's gonna be sold to to Cal Drogo uh, and her brother is such a pompous ass like it's the same kind of dynamic with that right situation, you yeah. know? Uh so I had to call back to that. I, I don't know, I just I I loved this. I, one. I think this is a great one. Zoe Kazan, like completely unrecognizable. You know, yeah. the last thing I saw her in was I think like The Big Sick, mm-hmm. uh, and that is just such a vastly different performance. <laughs> yeah. Very impressed yeah. by her. Uh, but yeah, this this one is one of the best. Like it, it's certainly the best told story from my perspective. It's also the sad. It's so sad. It's so sad, it Jeff. Everything yeah. here, everything in this movie is so depressing. Um. But uh, yeah, what a sweet romance, and the way it develops, and like the dialogue between them is so perfect. Uh, uh, just but like, don't lead to conclusions, you know. Like, don't <laughs> make sure. Wait you know, until don't... the last possible minute before executing yourself. <laughs> yeah. Is the moral of the story, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. There, this is the one where I felt like the the book, like the ending of the book, uh, that yeah. page that you see, like adds the most. So good, right? He, he didn't know what he was going like, to say. He had no idea what he was going to say to Mr. <laughs> Knapp, right? That's so good. It's so good. Like, that's how you end the story. He's like, I have no idea what I'm going to say to that guy. <laughs> like, yeah, well, how, how is that conversation going to go? Yeah, because um, clearly he knew that the dude didn't super didn't approve. And like he goes out in the woods and then his wife-to-be is dead. Like that. That's a whole other movie where yeah. the dude thinks he killed her or he doesn't trust him. And I don't know. Yeah, which is kind of like right. we kind of a bummer of these things is like a lot of these short films are like what the premise of a feature-length Coen Brothers movie is. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, oh, he threw a dude over the edge of the bridge. Like that's where a Coen <laughs> Brothers movie would begin, right? And then, <laughs> right, right. And then you just like see how that plays out, right? Um, yeah. Uh, in, you know, in the pursuit of money. Which a lot of these things are, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a really well well done, well executed piece of work, and uh, also extremely beautiful. Yeah, uh, I agree. Just, like, just just the the shots of the caravan are just spectacular. Yeah, it's just like insane, insane the amount of work that like they're on the actual yeah. Oregon Trail, right? So yeah, or or like a version of the Oregon Trail. They're heading to Oregon. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the last one: the mortal remains. About these people riding a stage court, uh, a stagecoach to Fort Morgan, um, and then as the <laughs> as the ride goes on, you realize that uh, maybe it's not a regular stagecoach, right? No, so you, do you, you think they're all dead? About this, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I didn't feel like the I didn't come away with from this one understanding what I was supposed to come away from it with, you know, I, I, I obviously the Dutchman, you know, that the, the writer of the, or the, 
driver of the stagecoach is always shown in a very spectral way, ethereal way that you yeah. kind of gets you the feeling like maybe these these people are all dead and they're heading to the afterlife. The last shot when they arrive at the hotel and the doors open and you see the stairway that's illuminated very dramatically as if it's heading into an afterlife. So clearly there's overtones of that, but uh, th- all of their conversation uh, on the ride, uh, the weird fear that they show of the the two guys that with the dead body, how it ends, I, I just didn't, I would love for you to tell me what you came away with because I didn't know what I was supposed to take from that one. Uh, I think that the idea, the, the, the objective of this one is simply to, uh, is simply to depict a group of people's journey to the other side and to make you interrogate for yourself. Like, how will you handle that journey? You know, one of the bounty hunters Mm -hmm. gives that, gives that uh, monologue about like what people do when they when they're like negotiating right with themselves like the the passage to the other other side Mm -hmm. and um and and how they handle it and like people handle it differently like some people are really at peace some are like terrorized by it and it, it you know shakespeare called it the undiscovered country right like this this land from which like no one has ever returned Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it is one of the biggest questions. What happens to you after you die? Uh, and I think that's what this is, is trying to bring out is, is it's asking you, like, what kind of person will you be when that day comes? Uh, that's uh, very basic, but, you know, kind of my understanding of it. Does that resonate with you in any way? Yes. Uh, I just just structurally, I, I didn't feel like it brought me there um yeah. and and the the weird because the, the, cause the dialogue of, is very it's very it doesn't it doesn't seem super introspective right Un- right until that right point, right yes yeah. and there's this weird sort of petty disagreement i, I thought time daily was great i loved seeing her but um and then there's this w- weird tone at the end where they have another they they have a dead body with them yeah and everyone is kind of weirdly frightened of it mm-hmm. uh I just, I just didn't. It just lands, I think, with a strange. I don't know. I, I've, I found it uh, unclear. Yeah, I mean, I think it was odd that you have bounty hunters with an actual dead body, like that. Right. That just kind of muddies the metaphorical waters a little bit. Yes. Yes. Um, but I think the way that, like, the the color grading on the outside of the coach and. Um, it's it's almost like magical the place they show up at the end. It does really signal to me that they are they are dead. All those characters. Yeah, I, I got that as well. But yeah. it just it didn't. I feel like there was an opportunity to really make that resonate in some profound way, and it, it, I don't know if they were even going for that. And I don't know what they were going for, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So um, for that to be the final story in, in a sequence of ones that I just thought were great and great and great and great. It, it did leave me, leave me a little bit of on a discordant note. I just yeah, felt like every one of the previous ones like really lands with a major yeah, impact, right? For sure. Um, like a very visceral feeling. Whereas this one just leaves you kind of feeling unsettled. Right? Yes. Yeah. And maybe that's by design. Yeah. I think that might be the case. So overall, Jeff sounds like you thought it was a masterpiece. 
Uh, I thought it was really well made, and if you're in the right mood for it, I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, and I just, I don't know that I was in that mood. So, mm. well, I, I mean, it's a credit to the fact that these kinds of things can be made now. That Netflix exists, that these services exist, and you can kind of create this this kind of art now. I think this is pretty exciting. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, all right, man. Well, this has been a lot of fun to talk about. I agree. Hope people have enjoyed listening to it and uh, hope you have a great week on this week that has no episode of the Slash Filmcast. Uh, this will tide <laughs> you over until our review of Creed 2 next week. Ooh, so excited. Creed 2. See you guys later. Unknown vessel, this is Waylon Utani Anchor Point Station. Please respond. Troop transport Sulaco. Return. The kid bit me! Don't touch me! Don't touch her! Bishop. Hicks. Weapons Division intends to develop the alien. Audible Studios present Alien 3 by William Gibson, starring Michael Bean and Lance Henriksen. 